acceptance, honestly, that's the biggest thing for me. And everything else, like there are definitely important factors that I consider in my life with ADHD, but just being willing to laugh it off sometimes and say, okay, well, I accept my brain, (laughs) accept that that's what happened just now, and we are going to move forward. And sometimes that's easier than others. Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am your host, Tracy Otsuka. Thank you so much for joining me here for episode number 211 of ADHD for Smartass Women. If you're a regular listener, you likely know about my signature program, Your ADHD Brain is A-OK. We call it A-OK for short. This is the six-week program that I built off of my patented cartography system to help ADHD women figure out what they should do with their life. We know that ADHD is completely misnamed. We don't have a deficit of attention. We have a surplus of attention. We are interested in so much, which often means that we struggle with trying to figure out which of the many interests that we do have is actually the one that we should pursue. With AOK, we start from the inside out and we figure out who you really are, what's important to you, what you value, what your strengths, passions, superpowers, and purpose are, and then you're going to build your life around that. I mean, who cares where you fit in? You're not meant to fit in. You're meant to stand out. And I'm going to show you how we're going to do that. So AOK includes live office hours with me, a community, the AOK systems, worksheets. You'll even create your own AOK intelligence report that you can refer to whenever a big life decision needs to be made. You know, it's a lot of fun. So we're going to start on Tuesday. That's next Tuesday on January 24th. We'll have our first office hours on next Wednesday, the 25th, and every Wednesday after that for the next six weeks. What a great way to finally discover who you are exactly and what you're meant to do with your life. And what a great way to start the new year, right? So if you sign up with the code New Year 23 you'll get $100 off of your ADHD brain is A-OK. You can find more information at tracyotsuka.com forward slash AOK. And don't forget to use the code New Year 23. I'd love to have you join us. So now let's get on to our podcast. I hope that you'll subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter over at tracyotsuka.com. You know, my purpose is always to show you who you are and then inspire you to be it. In the thousands of ADHD women that I've had the privilege of meeting, I've never met a one that wasn't truly brilliant at something. Not one. And so, of course, I am just delighted to introduce you to my guest today, Casey Peterson DeLong. Casey is a recovering art student, having spent most of her 20s on a Bachelor of Fine Arts with an accidental minor in art history. She's a mom, farm wife, a terrible housekeeper, a good cook, but not a baker. Of the many jobs at which Casey has tried her hand at, some of her favorites have been librarian, apprentice cabinet maker, artist live model, 
so much food service. Bouncy Castle Carney operator. I had to ask her what Carney even meant. Christmas tree shearer, goat herder, self-employed science communicator, fundraiser for kidney disease. And she's currently a municipal politician and climate consultant. You know, the usual ADHD path. So Casey, (laughs) welcome. Did I get all of that right? You sure did. Hi, Tracy. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. So where are you coming to us from? I live in uh, beautiful Nova Scotia, Canada, on the South Shore specifically, which is a little slice of paradise. I'm so fortunate. Wonderful. You know, uh, Casey and I had all kinds of tech problems today, and so we ended up having to move over to Zoom. I am actually in a hotel recording using my not best mic because I don't (laughs) travel with it. And so we were just like, this is going to be kind of a shit show, but we're going to go for it. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit of a cluster, but hey, that's that's what we're here for. We're we're ADHD sisters, right? (laughs) Absolutely. So before we talk about what it is that you do now, can we talk about your ADHD diagnosis first? Because that's what we do here. So can you tell us what were the circumstances around your diagnoses? When did it happen? All of the stuff. Sure, sure, sure. So I get the feeling that I'm a little bit of an outlier because I got an ADHD diagnosis. Uh, well, it was ADD at the time back in the 80s. It would have been, I think I think I was about maybe early 90s. I don't even really know because my parents were doing it. And I was a kid, so I had no interest. I was just a kid who was real daydreamy, kind of bouncing off the walls occasionally you know, smart sometimes, but other times, like, what are you doing, Casey? So it's like that whole inconsistent, consistent issue that we all struggle with, right? Yeah. Okay. So in school, you Mm -hmm. would get really good grades and then really bad grades in the same subject in the same week? Same same report card, like the next next quiz, whatever, like I, I would be all over the map. And I can see, like now that I'm a parent, looking back, I can kind of imagine the the conversations and thoughts that my parents must have been engaging with. And it's just, you know, it's with through that lens with that added time, it's kind of it's a lot easier to see. But at the time, I had no idea. I was just a kid. <laughs> so you had inconsistent grades, but everybody mm-hmm. knew you were smart. And then, so what you would hear a lot, I would suspect, is you're basically not living to your potential. You're not yeah, trying. She needs, she needs to apply herself. She needs <laughs> to just try harder. <laughs> yep. What about behavior? What did that um, look like on your report card? Yeah, like teachers liked me because I, you know, I'm, I was a nice kid. I was easy to talk to. I loved, I loved school. I just, you know, would daydream. I would look out the window. I would wander off. You know, I was I was rarely present, even when I was present. I've gotten a little bit better with that with time. So do you know, are you in a ten of ADHD or are you combined type? I think, well, I don't know for sure. I would say combined type because I can be very hyperactive. I can get real keyed up about things that are really important to me. But yeah, mostly just inattentive, real daydreamy. Like I would tell my university professors, if you can put me next to a window, it will improve my grade point because I will be able to distract myself when I need to. And that'll refocus me back on what I'm supposed to be paying attention to. (laughs) So what about you got yourself into college? So your grades must have been pretty good. Yeah, it took two tries, though. I had to go through grade 12 twice. (laughs) Ah, and why? Um, and that's such an odd grade to have to go through twice, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, like I think you're almost I just, there. Well, not, it happened to me in university too, where, you know, I talked to the counselor and they're like, so you are missing some credits. Did you know that? And I was like, oh, do I have to stay longer? <laughs> <laughs> so boredom maybe? I guess. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I repeated grade 12, got my math marks up. Um, got out of it, went to a trades college and became a carpenter for a couple of years. And yeah, I like working with my hands, but I don't love working with misogynists. So I got out <laughs> of there um, and I went to art school. <laughs> and I guess that's a, that seems like a, like a, an understandable pathway. Trades yeah, person of. working with your hands to art school. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and so what happened in art school? Uh, well, lots. <laughs> it was most of my 20s. Um, took me eight years to get through a BFA, Bachelor of Fine Arts, um, just because, you know, I kept bouncing around, same as always, um, but a, a little bit more focused. Like I started off 
in the sculpture department because, like I said, I went there because I like working with my hands. And eventually I went through all kinds of different departments because I just, I followed my interest. And um, I graduated from the jewelry department, but without any actual um, jewelry graduate credits. So I don't know. I still don't know how I graduated. They, they managed to like get all the credits put together and they're like, yep, you're done. So did you graduate with no jewelry too? No, no, I mean, like I had jewelry. It just wasn't my focus. Like I had lots of jewelry courses, just because <laughs> I could not say that I graduated as a jewelry major. <laughs> okay. So what about social issues? Were there any or are you really good with people? Eh, both. I mean, like I'm really good at conversing, for instance, now I'm really like I'm good at reading people, but sometimes that skill does not serve me. And sometimes I don't realize that I'm actually getting on people's nerves or, you know, so tell us more about we can, that. we can be a lot. Right. So, yeah. So tell us more about that. That's a really interesting comment. You're really good at reading people, but sometimes, sometimes yeah. that skill doesn't serve you. Yeah. So, I mean, like when I'm really into a topic, for instance, climate change, because that's that's my hyper focus when I'm really into something and just going on and on and on and on because I'm into it. I don't always notice the cues that somebody else is like mentally signed out or it's not their thing or whatever. So, yeah, I, I can turn people off sometimes. But for the most part, like when I'm when I'm with people, I'm good. I'm there. <laughs> I'm present. So let me ask you. You say I don't notice the cues. Is it really that you don't notice the cues or is it that you're so passionate about this subject you don't really care? Could be some of both, actually, come to think, especially like at this stage of life. This is the type of conversation where I can say less than less than ladylike words. Right. At this stage in life, I give so many fewer fucks like it's <laughs> I've had a kid. I've been through a lot. I will be conscientious and courteous to people. But if yeah, I. I I care about things. So listen to those things. That's, 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 that's the stage I find myself in now, you know? Yeah. Have you always felt different than others? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say so. Like, and it's, it, I've heard some of your other guests talk about this. Like there's, there's no manual that comes with ADHD. So you don't know what you don't know. Like you're a fish in water. What does something else feel like? I don't know what it feels like to be somebody else who doesn't have ADHD. So that experience isn't there for me to draw on. Right. Yeah. Um, are you one of the lucky ones for whom meds work? Mm -hmm. No, not really. I mean, I've tried. I would say I'm one of the lucky ones who, you know, like I I knew from the beginning that I have ADHD and that I'm going to have a different a different path. Like, so I haven't I haven't had to fight against it as much as some of the women that I've spoken to in my in my circle that have ADHD. Like, it's just it does still cause me challenges in this non-ADHD world we live in, but it's it's been a little easier to manage. And I've tried medication here and there, and it hasn't really worked for me, but I move on. So when you were diagnosed, how are your parents around this? Was it, oh my gosh, she's got ADHD? Mm -hmm. Or did they, because there wasn't a whole lot, certainly not about girls in ADHD back then. No, for sure. So yeah, no, my parents... And again, I was looking at this through kid eyes. So it's not like we were sitting around the kitchen table and having really, really heartfelt discussions about what Casey's ADHD diagnosis means. Um, I think the actual diagnosis, now that I'm thinking about it, came when I was like a preteen and we had um, counsel. We had a psychiatrist whose name I can't recall. It doesn't matter. Anyway, and um, it it was a big, long tedious process for me and I didn't see the point of it at the time and I was I was you know a cranky teenage kid who was probably giving her parents more grief than they deserved um so yeah it's it wasn't an easy process but I'm real glad that they did it I in retrospect like I look at some of the things that I just took for granted like when when they gave me the IQ test and that was probably when they were scratching their heads saying well she is smart right what's going on here yeah um so yeah like they they did all they should have done, I think. And especially in that in that era when we didn't know much about ADHD, right? Right. And so do you think that they they got the strengths part? Clearly, they saw that you were bright. They saw that when you really wanted to do something, I'm mm -hmm. assuming yeah. you you had, you know, you were driven. You did it. Yeah. They weren't harping on the weaknesses. So they weren't like, you know, the psychologist who told my husband and me that our job 
as parents was to reduce my son's expectations oh, so cool. he wouldn't be disappointed in life. And that was in 2000. I don't even remember. 2012, I think. Good grief. I know. That's that's so disheartening, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. No, no. I, I, again, like we're we're a long ways out of this process now. So I, I have a lot of hindsight, but I've also it's also gotten a little foggy. Yeah, I don't really remember what started them down the road of does our daughter have ADHD um, other than probably just my <laughs> my test scores were either great or terrible and not much in between. Mm. So, yeah, that's pro- that's probably, you know, what got them on the path, whether or not they went down the path knowing what it would lead to. I don't know. Do you have other siblings? I have one. Yeah, I have a brother who's eight years younger. Younger. Okay. And he, he does not have ADHD. I would say no. Okay. But I would also say that I don't know for sure. <laughs> Do you see it in either one of your parents or both? Uh, my mom. Yeah. And I actually, I've, I've heard about behavior from my paternal grandmother where I'm like, ooh, check, 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 check. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So um, like, I, like we all know, it's highly hereditable, I think is the word. <laughs> Inheritable. Yeah. Inheritable. Um, yeah. Yeah. There we go. Anyway. So, yeah, I'm sure it's I'm sure it's all through my family tree. And my, my mom, she's she's definitely inattentive from time to times. But she's you know, she she had a career as a teacher. She had she had focus. So I, I don't know is the short answer. Mm. Well, maybe she really, really loved teaching. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no question there. Ah, so tell us about the work life and all these careers and just what happened because it sounds like there is nothing you haven't done. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I've tried by hand at a lot, jack of all trades, right? But it's interesting to me to look back at all the, like when I was writing that bio, I was like, good grief. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> um, but, you know, like normally I would try to mask a little bit of that and make myself seem hireable or quote normal or whatever. Um, for you, no, I didn't mask any of it. <laughs> that's that's my life. I, I have done all these goofy jobs, and I wouldn't say that any of them were a career until recently. And what I find interesting is that even though my jobs were like all over the map and I've had a large number of them, it does seem to have led me to this point in which I find myself fairly comfortable. And I would say for the first time as a 41-year-old woman, I maybe have a career, maybe. <laughs> Hmm. Yeah. Um, so all of the things that you were doing, were they just kind of placeholders and you knew that, I mean, none of the stuff you really wanted to do, it was more, oh, it's here, so I'm going to try it? I think I was just living in the moment more. I think, you know, like I was doing because I was doing. I needed a job, so I got a job at a restaurant or I needed a job, so I got a job at the bouncy house place and made sure that kids didn't murder each other in the hot sun in a muddy bounce castle. Um, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's just being a creature in the moment, I guess. And now that I, now that I'm looking at that part of my life, I'm like, okay, well, I'm more settled now. I have, I have a house, I have a husband, I have a kid that I have to look after. So, you know, responsibility, that that definitely helps throw things into sharp focus, right? So I have to ask you about goat herder. It made me laugh because <laughs> yeah. I cannot remember which personality test it was that I took, but it was early on. I was probably 27 and a lawyer. Yeah. And what this personality test does is it matches you up to the closest career. So it looks at people who do like it. It's a, you know, oh, I don't know, a lawyer. It'll look at the personality traits of lawyers and then yeah. it'll see if you match and then it'll rank them, right? Okay, and yeah. so my number one career was sheep herder. I was like, what the hell am I supposed to do with that? You actually did something close. Goat yeah. herder. Well, that you know what? That actually doesn't surprise me. You got to be pretty stubborn to herd goat and even more stubborn <laughs> to herd sheep. Well, they're even dumber. Well, goats yeah, are dumb, right? Sheep are dumb. Sheep can be really dumb. I don't even know if it's that they're dumb, but they're just real passive. Um, but goats, yeah, they're <laughs> They've got a lot of personality. They're fun. I love goats. Oh, I love goats too. You know, the only reason I don't have goats is because I have a husband who tells me I'm not allowed. <laughs> oh my gosh. And they get into everything. We had a contractor who 
it wasn't our, it wasn't the job that he did on our house, but it was someone else's house. And we live in the country. <laughs> and apparently he left all of the invoices. His car was a mess. I'm sure he had ADHD, to be honest, the more <laughs> I think about it. It would take him a year to bill us. I mean, it was insane. Yeah. And anyway, his car was a mess and he was on a property that had goats. And I guess two goats got in literally chewed up every invoice he had, chewed up the interior. I mean, they will eat anything. Oh, yes, they will. (laughs) We have um, an acre and a half pond on our property. And what we were told is we were thinking about getting sheep and we were told by neighbors who all have sheep, you cannot get sheep. They are so dumb. They will Mm -hmm. literally go into the pond, get waterlogged, you know, Mm -hmm. with all that fur and, or do you call it fur? I don't know what you call uh, it. Wool, I guess. Wool, yes. Yeah. With all that wool. And they'll they'll get so waterlogged that they'll drown. Oh, <laughs> we, we never had um, sheep. Yeah. But I love it. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, you can't, you can't lead a sheep to water, but you can't make a goat go to water. <laughs> There's challenges either way. Um, so goats are like terriers. They're not yeah. trainable ever. Why? Well, I, I mean, they're so smart. It's like... And I'm I'm not an expert in goats, so I'm not going to claim that I know what goats do. But like my experience with goats was they're, they're just a little too smart for their own good so that, you know, like they know exactly how to get in your way and how to trip you up and how to, you know, and I do love them, though, because they've got so much personality. They, they have such a sense of humor, don't they? Yeah, so much. Like they're just they're hilarious and they know it. Right. <laughs> We had two giant Nubian goats. Well, I guess Nubian goats are all giant. You know, they were like 150 pounds and one of them was named Max and one of them was named Moritz. Those goats, no matter what we did, like we'd look out the window or we'd get a call from the, you know, on the phone and, you know, they were always getting out. You know, I would be working, I'd look out at the window and there they were running around the front yard eating everything. Oh my gosh, just, just taking advantage and love and life. Yep. Right. Exactly. Okay. So, do we so like a spinoff? Do we need a spinoff podcast where we can just talk about goats? Because I feel like you're going to lose your audience pretty quick. It's in cheap. I know. So, Casey, why don't you tell us what is your latest hyperfocus so we can get out of goats and sheep? Okay. Okay. Um. So yeah, I, <laughs> um, the climate crisis is the thing that has really, just, just stolen my focus honestly i i'm not saying i don't have focus for other things but this is the thing that i do hyper focus on so if there's an article about the climate crisis i'm just like i am deaf to the world until i have read it and like soaked up that knowledge if there's a podcast i listen to so many podcasts that are so depressing about climate change i know i guess the way i'm looking at it these days is like because i was feeling really helpless and distressed and depressed about climate change until I got involved and until I, you know, started obsessing, obsessively researching and until I found a career in which I feel like I'm actually contributing to solutions and on the local level, which is really important to me. So how did you get into this? Like, when did this start and how did it start? Okay. As with every story involving me, it's a long, convoluted, weird one. So I'm going to try to like cut out some of the, some of the fat here. Um, back, let's see, pre pandemic, mid Trump. Um, I was, I, I was trying to pull together a sustainability fair and it was going well, but I was like a one person operation doing this. I was, I was not paying myself. I did not do any of the things that I have now done. (laughs) And I had booked a venue. I was inviting all the people. I was doing all the things. I was really excited. And then the pandemic hit and nobody wanted to go to a summit for obvious reasons. So, (laughs) so yeah, I put that on the back burner with like a lot of, a lot of sadness. I put that on the back burner. I said, okay, well, it's not, it's not the thing I'm going to work on. And having, having had so many jobs, I was kind of comfortable with that. I was like, okay, yeah. Bye. Goodbye. It's fine. And I had thought about municipal politics a few times and I had been encouraged to run a few times. And there was a municipal ele- election that happened in 2020. So in in a fit of pandemic madness, I stood for election and became a municipal counselor. And I love it. <laughs> I didn't think I would. I thought it was going to be a giant chore that, you know, I was doing out of the goodness of my heart or something. Uh, there, there's got to be some kind of complex there. Tell us what what a municipal counselor is for those yeah. of us, especially in the United States who well, don't. I, I don't even know exactly what system you guys have. So um, 
maybe we can find some parallels here and I can learn too. So yeah, municipal councilor, there's 10 of us and a mayor and we're mm. in, char- in charge of all municipal affairs for the rural municipality where I live. So yeah, like there's city councilors in the city, there's town councilors in the towns and we're, we are councilors in our rural area. That's, that's the system we have here. Okay. And that happened in 2020. Mm-hmm. So you've been doing that for two years. Yeah. And now that, now that we're all kind of venturing back outside of our houses and seeing people again, now I'm, I'm organizing the summit and now it's actually turned into a job and it's not a summit. It's five summits across the Atlantic provinces of Canada and I have funding for it and I'm paying myself. So I feel like I'm doing it right this time. <laughs> so, so you basically picked up what you would put down pre pandemic. Yeah, exactly. And it's become bigger and better and more purposeful, which it's, you know, like I said, it's, it's the work that gives me hope. And I was feeling really hopeless. I was feeling a lot of climate despair, a lot of eco grief. I think there's a lot of terms for this these days. Um, anyway, and, you know, it's just starting to engage with the thing that I was finding so depressing that gave me a lot of agency and a lot of power over it. And having to put it away for a little while, it hurt at the time. But now that I'm back with it, I feel like it was a good separation, right? Like it was where I was treating it like a hobby before. Now I'm treating it like a job and it shows. So whereas before you said that you were always, you know, consistently inconsistent, is Mm. there any of that here in what you're doing now? Potentially, but I think I well no, and I mean I I'm saying that because I want to spin it into more of a positive, like consistently inconsistent. That often leads to ADHD heartache. I feel like, yeah, I still have bouts of inconsistency, but I know where I'm putting my efforts now, and I know what's important to me. So even if I even if I occasionally falter or get distracted by something shiny out the window or whatever, I'm coming back. Is it easier too, perhaps, because it's not just you? Yeah. Yeah. So that's the a things good you kind of suck at, right? I mean, <laughs> we have these incredible strengths, but we also yeah. have these weaknesses. You're focusing mm-hmm. on the strengths and letting other people pick up the weaknesses. Yes. And thank God I'm so done with being weak. <laughs> yeah. No, like I, I've hired a bookkeeper. Oh, I've hired a bookkeeper. I'm so happy. Yep. I have mixed feelings about, you know, bringing female labor into my house to look after my house uh, and pay that female labor less than I make because, mm-hmm. you know, feminism. But I am not a housekeeper and I, I'm not going to fight it anymore. I'm, you know, I'll Good do the dishes, you. I'll do the laundry, I'll do the stuff to keep the house going, but I need help. <laughs> So yeah, yeah I'm, I'm finding the help. I'm finding the people. I'm finding the solutions. And now I have a, I have a partner working on this um, this summit thing with me, which adds accountability. It adds, you know, it adds an extra brain. It adds extra hands. It adds, it adds, right? It's good. So it's really interesting to me that you're doing something you're really interested in that you really love. And finally, more than you've ever loved anything else you've done, correct? Mm, yeah, I'd say so. Like I said, the other the jobs were jobs. This seems like a career. It's I'm passionate about it. Okay. And so now you finally have the means, you said, to consistently pay bills, something that was a struggle before. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I, I was very fortunate in who I married in a yeah. lot of ways, but also like having somebody steady who brings in a steady income. That's not something I had in my life previously. Like we got married in my early 30s. And so I've had I've had a decade of stability now, which feels good. You know, I feel as somebody who is off the wall, you know, just like bouncing around, it it feels good to have that steady presence that, you know, grounds me, right? Yes, absolutely. So when you say the means to consistently pay bills, what you're mm-hmm. saying is bills in your company, but also feeling like you're contributing. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't just have a part-time job. I don't ju- just, like, I'm not just the housekeeper. You know? I'm not, right. yeah, like I'm, I'm doing something that's meaningful to me that I can actually use to pay the bills. That's, that's what I mean by that, I guess. Absolutely. So do you feel like you're finally, 
actually in your purpose? You're living your purpose? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like, it doesn't matter to me if I feel like that sounds cheesy because it's true. <laughs> oh my gosh. So this is totally what we do in your ADHD brain is A-OK. And so mm-hmm. I love to hear it because, you know, our best purposes give meaning to our past. And so my question for you is, I want to know the values, strengths, skills, passions, and purpose that you need to do this current work. And I want to know, were the bones of them always there from the time you were a child? Like if you can look back at what you're doing now, how does it complement who you've always been? Yeah, I like I like how you phrased that because it's definitely, it hasn't been a straight line by any stretch. Um, and it's it's interesting that now that I'm looking back at that zigzag path that I've been walking on, I can kind of trace that line. Like I can send, I, I can see the red thread back where I came from. Right. And it's nice to know that even though I felt directionless at one point, or I felt like I didn't have the tools to do what I needed to do, or even know what I wanted to do. Now that I'm in this position, I can see where that zigzag path gave me the tools in my toolkit. And I can see where that zigzag path made me the person that I am today. So, I mean, it's cumulative. You know? Do you have any stories <laughs> that, that um, illustrate this? Like I'm thinking childhood stories or teen yeah. stories. Oh, that's a good question. I wish I had one that I could just pull out of my pocket for you. Um, that just laid the groundwork for all of this passion. Like, okay, let me give you an example. For, yeah, for me, I was always the kid in the schoolyard, literally, you know, when friends would tell me, oh, my parents are getting a divorce and they'd be really <laughs> upset. Yeah. Yeah. During recess, I'd be the one on the rocks with them talking about that. That is oh. just what lit me up. And yeah. it's interesting how, you know, I look at what I do today and it totally fits. I was mm-hmm. always a little tiny feminist, you know? Yeah. And so it's interesting to me that what I'm doing today is I'm fighting for ADHD mm. women to understand that part of the reason that we struggle so much more with ADHD is because mm. of all that bullshit labor that we're supposed to do that are executive functions because we're women, right? Mm -hmm, All the child mm -hmm. care, all of that, the invisible labor. It's because we have to do that when we don't have the executive functions to do it. So we need partnership. So much stress and anxiety to daily functioning, right? Like it's just built in stress and anxiety. Because we think somehow struggling with. (laughs) Yeah. Because we think women somehow Mm. are the ones that are equipped to do this. And yeah. so there must be something wrong with us if we oh. can't do it. Yeah, yes. and I have I have really struggled with that at times too. So I'm 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 glad to be in a place where I'm feeling a lot more comfortable with it. And yeah, to your question, yeah, no, I I mean I can definitely see in, you know, little past Casey, I can see the um the strings that I was drawing together to make me who I am. Like I in high school, I was a member of Youths for Social Justice. Um, I've have always been a solution builder, even when I was sometimes part of the problem. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I really like building out solutions and the solution to the climate crisis, bringing it back to my current focus, is so, it's so difficult to hold on to because it's not a solution. It's so many, many, many solutions to so many, 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 many problems so, I mean, like, that's, I feel like, yeah, my my fragmented journey has culminated in me being well-suited to this work, definitely. Mm. Okay. So, do you want to talk more about what it is that you do? Yeah, some of the things that I'm really interested in talking to you about are <laughs> ADHD and how it presents in women to be so insidious because like I said, I'm in, I'm in a comfortable state of life Mm -hmm. and I, I credit my ADHD for getting me here, but it didn't make it easy, you know? And like I said, I had a more comfortable journey with my ADHD than most. So it's important to me that, you know, I respect other women's journeys and they don't know that they're going to get to that comfortable place. And that's going to be a really uncomfortable feeling. So I'm really glad that you and I are having this talk because I, th- I think it it does illustrate that there is comfort to be found, right? Absolutely. And again, it's all about your strengths. You know, I hear women all the time trying to shore up their weaknesses, trying mm-hmm. to get better at the things that honestly, 
they're never really going to get better at. You know, Mm -hmm. we can kind of cobble together resources and systems, Mm -hmm. but there are certain things that I am always going to suck at. For example, anything to do with money. Mm -hmm. And so it suddenly dawned on me, you know, like my husband used to come to me and it's like, okay, every, he's a banker. So, you know, bless him, but oh my. So when we first were married, he said, okay, whenever you spend 50 cents, bring me the receipt. And I looked at him and I laughed. I'm like, are you kidding? (laughs) I negotiated something better. And I can't remember what exactly it was, but maybe, you know, anything that was 50 bucks, you know, I would give it to him just so that he'd have a handle on what was coming down the pike. Uh But all neurotypical society focuses on uh, is, you know, all this budgeting and and how to save and blah, blah, blah. And ultimately, all of that is literally so we have something for the future. Mm -hmm. And so my thought was rather than focusing on all these things I can't do, what if I just got right to the savings part and I made it automatic? And I created mm-hmm. systems where I didn't have a choice, right? It just yeah. automatically went in there. And if there wasn't enough left over, well, then guess what? You don't have any more money. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. granted, I would somehow find more money, right? Because that's what we do. Yeah. But I really think it's about, okay, well, that system doesn't work for you. What does work? Rather mm-hmm. than beating yourself up over and over again, which just creates negative emotion. And we know that we can't function in negative emotion, So how can we flip it to something positive? So I, you know, I found this app um, called Eggcorns. I set it up. It automatically takes money out every week, not every month, every week, because then if it's a smaller amount, you know, I can constantly check and see, oh, guess what? I am saving. And granted, (laughs) I'm married to a banker, so it's not a situation where, you know, it's dire if I don't. But it, it got to the point where I just wanted to prove to myself that I could do it. Oh my gosh, and yes. so like you, I worry about women who, number one, maybe don't have a partner, right? Mm-hmm. Who's, who's good at money because there was a time when I didn't. And, mm-hmm. you know, when my book comes out, oh, there's some funny stories that weren't so funny at the time, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. People showing up at my house. But it was because I just didn't even understand where to start because my brain didn't work in the neurotypical fashion. And I've chattered on long enough. So Casey, what do you think? Oh, no, I'm so glad. Like, and I, I please talk because I love hearing your perspective on this. Like, it gives me such good insight into things that I might not have realized that I'm struggling with. I find it so relatable what you said about um, the husband that says, okay, we'll just save all the receipts. And I was like, um, really? Really? And so now our system is a little bit similar to yours. Our limit is $40. If I spend more than $40, I shoot him a text and vice versa. And just beating ourselves up and creating that negative emotion soup that we just sit there and stir and stir and ruminate over. Oh, that, that just rings so true with me because it like, it's that Alice in Wonderland thing where I give myself very good advice, but I very seldom follow it. Like I know not to beat myself up because I know that even if I'm doing it with a joking tone of voice, I'm still internalizing that I think I'm stupid and I know I'm not. So like that's, that's really valuable. What I've found actually helps me. And I'm interested in that um, that app that you were talking about, but we still live in a cash economy here. We live on a family farm and we get paid in cash. So mm-hmm. I, I put I put my spending money in my wallet. I put the rest in the bank. And then I, I buy things with cash and people look at me funny, but it that's my system for like knowing how much I spend. If it's not in my wallet, I don't have it. Well, I mean, if you think about like, Um, My husband used to tell me stories about his family and, Mm -hmm. you know, his father laid hardwood floors and was a fireman, but he also Mm -hmm. flew, I think it was like 42 missions in World War II on the back of a bomber. So he was a tail gunner. So when he came back Mm -hmm. from the war, what they would do is everything was in envelopes, just exactly like you said, he didn't trust credit cards. He didn't really even trust the bank. So he would have these, you know, he would go get paid and then he would put the money in different envelopes for different things. And then that's what he gave. Yeah. So it worked then and it was so much easier. So why wouldn't that work today? No. And it does, it, it does work. Having that physical representation of money, like actual cash, that really helps my brain. It really does. And I don't have to like 
go looking for my bank balance. I don't have to try to log on to my online banking. I don't have to remember that I've forgotten my password and, you know, like all those things that just slow me down because ADHD. (laughs) And I also think it's too many steps. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to know what I don't want to know. You know, (laughs) I don't need that bulking up. I don't need that taking up space in my brain. I really don't. Exactly. Exactly. And I, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, and I think with the husband thing, you know, if the husbands are really good with the money, it's a two-part problem, right? For us, Mm -hmm. it's the defiance of, oh my gosh, I went to college. You're not going to tell me what to do, right? I don't need help managing my money. Excuse me. (laughs) The second part is we literally forget. Yep. And because there's no interest, I'm like, eh, whatever. You know, he'll figure it out. He'll have to go rifle through my bag, but then I'll get mad if he's in my bag. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's so familiar too. So your point about being able to be self-sufficient and not relying on husbands and other people who are good with numbers, it's important to have those skills. But if you have somebody you can rely on, if you have that somebody, then like, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you rely on them? When when my husband phones me, it says, Thomas, husband, CFO, because he is my <laughs> chief financial officer. Oh, my God. Um, my husband was mine too for previous yeah. um, previous businesses. This one, he's like, you know what? You're getting a bookkeeper, and we're using an account. I'm not doing this anymore because I'm here. such a disaster. Yeah. Actually, you know what? This this raises something that I, I would like to talk about: the fact that I don't have a facility with numbers, and the fact that I admittedly have difficulty in my personal life with numbers gives me a lot of imposter syndrome in my job. Yep. I understand. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's interesting because like when I when I do break it down for myself, it's like, yeah, okay. so I understand how numbers work. And if somebody is giving me a briefing specifically telling me how these numbers work and where they're going in the community and what they're for, I'm really good with that. So, I mean, I think like being a municipal counselor is a really good fit for me because I don't need to find the numbers. I don't need to know why the numbers work because somebody's presented it to me. I just need to understand the facts, have them presented to me and make rational decisions in concert with 10 other people. So, but yeah, like not, not having that facility with numbers does make me feel like, like an imposter sometimes. Definitely. I completely relate to what you're saying. So I'm curious, do you have a really good sense of time? Mm, No, not really. I do have that time blindness thing. If I'm focusing on time. Yeah. I I know, I know where I am and what I'm doing. Well, and if you think about time, time is all about numbers too. Yep. So doesn't it make sense that if we really struggle with time, which I really do, we would also struggle with numbers. And like you, I understand them. I did just fine in math. I didn't enjoy it, but I was actually trigonometry. I got the highest grade in my class. So I got it, but Mm -hmm. then to apply it. And so I think it's not only that it's numbers and sense of time, but also that it's constantly moving and you have to track it and stay on top of it. And that is what we don't do well. Executive function, you know, deficient. Yeah, 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 for sure. That does make a lot of sense, actually, when you put it that way. So the way I would come back therapy session, I love it. (laughs) Casey, the way I would come back to you is, okay, so our husbands are so good at this number thing. (laughs) However, what are the things that they could never contribute to the family that we are so good at? And I Mm. know society seems to indicate that, oh, well, but this numbers thing is so important. And I'm like, no. Numbers doesn't bring joy into a family. Numbers doesn't bring curiosity and fun and right. I mean, and I feel like that's what I add to the family. And if anybody is having any kind of breakdown and not feeling good about themselves, that's where I pull out the big guns. And my husband, I mean, he's lovely. He's wonderful. I don't know how, you know, I was lucky enough to find him, but that's just not going to be his forte. And guess why? Because he's so good with numbers, right? He's very linear and neurotypical. Well, and I mean, like everybody has their strengths and everybody has their challenges. And if you can find that partner where your strengths and their challenges line up and vice versa, then like, yeah, you you have got it made. And it's it's something that I definitely daily count my blessings for because, well, I mean, I, I had a long time in my life without that partner. So, I mean, I know what it's like when I'm functioning solo and it, it doesn't function as well. Just putting just putting it like that, it doesn't function as well. And having that understanding that 
I bring value to the party. I bring value to the table. Like, even if I'm not good with the numbers, even if I'm not good at knowing where I'm supposed to be all the time at the right time, I still have a lot that I contribute. Oh, I heard something the other day that really stuck with me. And it was, again, cheesy little aphorisms that actually make sense. And then I have to really sit with them is I am valuable sitting still. And I almost cried when I heard that because it was like, oh, yeah, I am. I am valuable sitting still. I don't need to be doing all the time to demonstrate my value. That is so interesting because not all of us, but many of us with ADHD have this drivenness. We are always mm-hmm. in action because we create dopamine, right? Mm-hmm. When we're in action. So it makes us feel good. Like with that purpose. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, this, we need to live a life of meaning. We need to make a difference in other people's lives. And so oh, yes. that's where we get our value. But often it'll be at the expense of ourselves mm-hmm. and our sanity, right? Yep. Oh, so much. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I heard that on a podcast I was listening to while I was driving. I was like, I almost welled up. I almost teared up. I was like, no, I'm late. I need to keep driving. Don't think about it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like it just, when it hits you, it hits you because that's what I was totally feeling at that moment. Like I need to be moving all the time. I need to be in action to be worth it. You know, I, in order for other people to want to engage with me, I need to always be doing, and I don't. I don't. Sometimes I could rest, you know? Sometimes I could just sit and write a book, right? That's so hard, though, isn't it? So hard. (sighs) I think we also have this sense that we don't have systems Mm -hmm. because we've never done things the way we're supposed to do them. And I'm putting supposed in air quotes, right? Mm -hmm. But we really do have systems. And I think that a lot of times what we have to do is we have to stop and pause and think about, okay, I want to get this thing done that I'm struggling to get done. How have I done something similar in the past? Like what systems Mm -hmm. did I use? And then build from there instead of right away thinking that, well, if I can't do the things the way my husband does them or the way society tells me we're supposed to do them, that that means that I can't do them at all. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I think what that raises for me, honestly, is that the systems that I built earlier in my life don't serve me anymore because they may have been adaptions at a certain time that have become maladaptive over time. Yeah. Uh, it's something that I'm really trying to work on right now because, you know, like I, <laughs> when I look up from this conversation, I'm going to look at a messy house, real messy. <laughs> <laughs> and there are systems in place that work and have worked for a long time. And then there are systems in place that I'm starting to realize, no, those are systems that worked at a time and maybe not even that well. So we need new systems. <laughs> how many kids do you have? Just the one. Just the one. one. And and how old, is it a he or she? A uh, little boy. He's four and a half. Oh. He's the light of my life. Oh. He is just, he's so brilliant. He's so smart. So who gives a damn what the house looks like? Honestly, yes. I mean, I'm well past that age. My youngest is 20. My -hmm. oldest is 24. And I have to tell you, those were my most favorite times of life is just Mm -hmm. being when I just loved every step. I just loved being a parent. But I think I loved being a parent because, first of all, I had help. Yes. Right. I had help. Yep. And why is it that men never worry about the fact that they had help? But Mm -hmm. we still like I still feel like I'm always explaining, well, it was easier for me because I had help, you know, and like there's something wrong with that. But it was easier for me, too. Yeah. No. And I mean, because of that. Yeah. It's sorry. I mean, just there. yeah, Um, no, no. Yeah. No, it's it's so easy to look at the things in my life that are easy and not take note of them all the time because it's Mm -hmm. just a lot of the easy things are easy because I have the help. Right. And I, if I did not have the, like, if I didn't have the husband or if I didn't have the childcare or if I did, you know, if, if any of these things disappeared, things would break, you know, (laughs) it would be trouble. Casey, I have this incredible fear and I've had it my entire life from the time I met my husband. If Mm -hmm. something were to happen to him, I don't even know what I would do. Well, I, 
because no, I'm, not to, so I'm not trying to one up here, but my husband's a kidney transplant patient. Oh. So we've been we've been living with that our whole marriage. Like he Yeah, I get it. When we were dating, he was he had kidney issues. So I mean we we knew that it was a potentiality that he would need a transplant. And then after we'd been married for a year, that's when it happened. And we we mm. got him a transplant, which was really something. But it's always made everything feel really precarious, you know, and that 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 adds stress, that adds strain, you know, like what if, what if, what if. And it makes me live in a potential terrible future that I don't want to live in currently. Like, why why would I be torturing myself with something like what if I lost him? What if like so it makes it hard to live in the moment. It makes it hard to just, you know, live life and function. Oh. I I can completely relate. It is not you. You one upped me definitely. I really didn't mean to. I'm sorry. No, no, no. But thank you for one upping me. <laughs> my my husband, um, he had a hepatitis B, oh. and um, when we first met, and I remember when we were dating, I had a friend who was a nurse, and she said I would not be dating him because at that oh. point it was pretty serious. Oh. But he's just, you know, for 15 years, he didn't drink. He's like, you know, he just eats bowls of kale. He's been so healthy, but he's yeah. also 11 years older than I am. Okay. And so then I'm trying to think what happened. He got sepsis. He beat oh, the gosh. hepatitis B. He he flipped it. Yeah. He got He got sepsis, almost died, got his last rites. I had a seven-year-old and a Good God. And then, you know, now there are some heart issues. So mm. it has been consistent from the beginning. And I was like that from the time I was a little kid, always mm. worried what happens if something happens to my parents, right? What if, what if, so what it's if. always been there in my brain. So I absolutely relate to what you're saying. But I think like a neurotypical would be fearful anyway, but we've mm-hmm. got this extra layer because they provide so much structure and support. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, and my husband has always been, as I said, super healthy. Like, you know, he's always yeah. worked out every day and, you know, takes all the the green juice and, the you know, everything that he needs to do. Mm, but still, right, there's always, you know, even, even when things when i when i should calm my brain down it's still in the back of it and so yeah. i can only imagine how it's still in the back of your brain all the time too and every and it's hard not to think about it mm. well i mean especially like we have daily reminders like he has morning and nighttime pills like the amount of pills yep. he has to take uh for his anti-rejection regime is is pretty <laughs> pretty eye-opening just how much we need to keep aligned in order to keep him healthy like how thin the margins are for us keeping him healthy right like he has three months worth of pills and once those three months of pills are done we need to get another three months of pills Uh, yeah it's always friend of mine but it's i don't know honestly it has made me much more comfortable with his mortality and my mortality so that there's silver linings everywhere right (laughs) there are and what I always think about is, for example, you know, when my daughter was young and she was in school, because my husband is 11 years older, he was older than a lot of the dads, most of the dads. Mm-hmm. And so many of those young dads are no longer with us, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of them, it was health problems. Others, it was, you know, being in a plane and the plane goes down or walking mm-hmm. in the middle of the street yeah. or getting in a car accident. Yeah. So we really don't know. And it could be him or it could be me, right? Yeah. Well, and same here. I mean, like, I've had a couple of health scares, too, where it's been like, oh, wait, I might be the one that goes first. Oh, boy, this this conversation turned so cheerful. I (laughs) (laughs) need to stop it. Or, Casey, it's Mm -hmm. either one of you and you both live nice, long lives. Who knows? And that's the thing. Like, you can't you can't live in that. What if you can't you make yourself crazy? You just you got to. You got to accept each day that comes to you and be grateful for it. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. I just had dinner with um, a wonderful friend of mine. I've known him since I was 12 years old, Mark. And he reminded me that, you know, Tracy, when you turned 18 in college, you were ridiculous. We were all out at dinner and you started crying because you were so upset about the fact that you were getting older and 
I remember I I said I was so upset because what I said was if I murder someone, I'm going to be tried as an adult now. <laughs> yeah, you got fewer off ramps. <laughs> but it was just this. Did and you, I think were you feeling this, compelled to murder somebody, Tracy? I got to ask. I wasn't. But it's the fact, I think, that we have no sense of time. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you look up in 25 years. You, you're not there yet. But all of a sudden you look up and 25 years has passed and you're like, what the holy hell? Yeah, no, I think I've had I think I've had that happen a little bit where I've blinked. And I'm like, oh, I'm 40 now, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. Um. So, yeah, probably I'll blink again. I'll be like, oh, I guess I have a locker now. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> a locker. Yeah. My yeah. husband's still here. Oh, look, my, yep. My, yep. my son is going off to college. Everything's oh, good. Gosh. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's so brilliant. That'll probably happen when he's 10 anyway. So who knows? <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Um, you don't want a 10-year-old going to college. You want him with you. Hey, no, I don't want him to ever leave. I still take him to work with me on Mondays when I drive the egg truck. <laughs> oh. oh, I love it. So yeah. what do you think the key to living successfully with ADHD is? And I, by the way, I was telling Casey, we had to record on Zoom. I have no idea how long this podcast has gone, but she's so easy to talk to. We just kept going. Yeah, let's let's just keep going for a bit and you can you can cut out the least interesting bits. That's fine. Right. <laughs> yeah, so living successfully with ADHD. I think I and I mean I can only answer for myself, but yeah. I think it's acceptance, honestly. That's the biggest thing for me and I, everything else like there are definitely important factors that I consider in my life with ADHD, but just just being willing to laugh it off sometimes and say, "Okay, well, I accept my brain, <laughs> accept that that's what happened just now, and we are going to move forward. And sometimes that's easier than others. Yeah, I think when that happens to me, honestly, I look for the open door. Mm-hmm. I look for, okay, that happened, but it happened for a reason. It happened mm-hmm. for me, not to me, right? Yeah, yeah. And so what can I learn from it? What can I gain from it? What can I build from it? Because in my experience, some of my biggest F-ups have mm-hmm. led to, you know, the biggest glory too, right? If I could exactly. just find the open door. Yep. Well, and I think that as ADHD folks, we often have that ability, and we may not even realize it because it took me a long time to realize that we can see into the next room. I like that you brought up an open door because there's this um, this analogy that I've been, it's been coming up in my life a couple of times recently where it's the next room. like. Everybody can see into the next room, but some people can see into the next, next room. And I feel like ADHD does that for us sometimes where it's like, we look like we're skipping ahead, but maybe it's just because we already know where we're going. We are skipping ahead and you guys need to catch up. Exactly. Please hurry up, guys. I'm already here. Let's go. Let's go. I've got this planned out. Come on. Yep. Totally. Yep. Yep. ADHD intuition. 100%. Okay. So what do you have a number one ADHD workaround you can share with us? Oh, no, because it changes. It changes too (laughs) frequently. Like, and that's the thing with ADHD workarounds is that like it'll work for a while and then it stops working and I got to find the new workaround. And that, that's the thing that kills me about ADHD is that it, you can't find consistency because it disappears after a while, you know, or they change the software or they change the, you know, the tools that you need. Like it just, any system I've ever developed, I've had to discard at some point. And I think what I'm getting better at doing is realizing when those systems don't serve anymore and changing them over quicker. So, Okay. So that would be your number one ADHD workaround instead of beating yourself up mm. around, oh, I've got to do it this way because it worked last time. Yeah. Thinking about, okay, well, what part of it worked and why did it work? And can I rejigger it, MacGyver it? Mm-hmm. To, to work again in a different way. Yeah. And I think that's that's where that being a ADHD jack of all trades really does help because, you know, like it, well, this thing stopped working and I've got to put the roof back on it. You know, like I've got to figure it out. I've got to, you know, pick up a hammer and do something. So it's just, it's good that I have a lot of skills and I don't, that there are a lot of goat herding skills, for instance, that I don't need anymore, but they help me develop the skills that I use today. So, yep, that and the carny operator. Yeah, exactly. I know how I know how to drag a kid out of a bounce castle. Boy, <laughs> do I! <laughs> and look how that must serve you as a parent. It actually really does. I mean, there, it's funny because there were times when I was a carny where I was thinking, 
you know what? I'm never going to have kids because it will be this. <laughs> it will be this, and they are horrible. Yeah. Um, but like now that I have a kid, I'm like, oh, I was learning parenting at the time. That's great. That's helpful. <laughs> Absolutely. Before you go, I was taking some sort of program and the facilitator was talking about global warming and how it's just so depressing. And all you hear is all the negative, 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 And it just kind of makes you want to stick your head in the sand. And so he recommended, and I cannot remember what the name of the nonprofit was. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, we'll but it. it was a company that, um, or an, which, yeah, I guess you'd call a nonprofit a company. It was a company that planted, I don't know how many, I think it was 40,000 trees a day. That's a staggering number. That's a lot of trees. And you could you could see the video every day of them 24 hours a day planting these trees. And they had some sort of a machine that does it. And there's some sort of bubble that goes around the seedling. Oh. And oh. the bubble is filled in water. So they don't need to be irrigated. And it was just fascinating. And the idea was that I don't know how many millions and millions of trees we've lost over the last, I don't know, you know, 30, 50 years, just from, you know, deforestation and just people cutting down trees to, you know, build homes and whatever. And um, pasture for cattle so the McDonald's can feed us hamburgers. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, the idea was that if we plant, you know, a certain number of trees, we could maybe get global warming to, if not stop in its tracks, really, really slow down. And I was curious if you've heard of this and is it true? Because it made me feel really good. Okay, Versus well, before, I, would, I was yeah. just depressed. I couldn't even go there. Mm -hmm. Well, what I would say to that is that hope is key in any climate action. One of the uh, climate leaders that I'm really fond of quoting is Christiana Figueres, who was one of the architects of the Paris Accord. Anyway, she says, you need that gritty determination to fuel your hope. You need to be determined because otherwise you're just going to be depressed. And global warming, the climate crisis, it can be really depressing if you're just dipping in and out of it. If you're just looking at the depressing news articles, if you're looking at people finding solutions like this tree planting organization you referred to, it can be so uplifting and motivating. It's the flip side of it that I love, right? Because planting however many trees a day, 40,000, that's incredible work that needs to happen. So I'm so happy to hear about it. And the fact that you say that they're actually looking after the trees after, that gives me hope too, because there's been a lot of tree planting efforts where they just stick trees in the ground and walk away and then the tree dies in a year. So, I mean, what we need really are... <sighs> older trees. We need trees that we planted 10 years ago. We need 10 year plus trees to be sucking the carbon out of the atmosphere that we're pumping into it. So yes, we do need to be planting trees. Absolutely. We need to be doing it in a really concerted way. Our municipality is um, uh, starting up a tree planting program for one thing, but also we need to stop pumping greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. We need to focus more on the solutions and focus more on stopping the problems. Definitely. Well, you just motivated me. I am going to contribute for the holidays, or probably I should do it just in general, <laughs> to this, this organization, because it was Wonderful. the only thing that I found at this point that really gave me hope. And you're right. If we're a negative emotion, right, yeah. it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. so. Well, and that's the way in, right? Like, you got to yeah. find that way in that right. engages you and motivates you and doesn't depress the hell out of you. And that's your way into being part of the climate crisis solution, definitely. We're doing something mm -hmm. as opposed to just being depressed all the time by the terrible, depressing news. I don't even really read climate news anymore unless it's something I'm specifically interested in, because if I'm just if I'm just being barraged all the time by negative news and people doing the things that I know that they know that they shouldn't be doing, like burning down rainforests, then it's just depressing. Yeah, because I can't engage with, for instance, the Brazilian president, tell him to stop burning brain for us. Um, but I can engage in local solutions and it gives me hope. It gives me motivation. Definitely. Wonderful. So yeah. Casey, where can people find you if they want to know more about you and what you do? Oh, that's a great question. And I was really not looking forward to it because I'm so social media averse that I'm I'm barely on Facebook anymore. I think I have an Instagram handle that probably matches up with my Facebook. Um, yep. You can email me. <laughs> that, that's perfect. That's perfect. K-A-C-Y-D-E-L-O-N-G at gmail.com. Okay. K-A-C-Y what? 
D-E-L-O-N-G. Casey DeLong at gmail.com. Oh my God. That's Casey DeLong. Does that kind of rhyme? Casey? Sort of. Okay. It, it, it doesn't super rhyme, but it, it does roll off the tongue. We'll, we'll, we'll go with it. It's fine. <laughs> okay. We'll have it in the show notes. Casey DeLong at gmail.com. Casey, thank you so much for spending time with us here today. Thank you, Tracy. It's been a joy. Seriously. It has. Before I leave you, just a quick reminder, the doors for our first ever January, Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, are open. And if you want to save $100, use the code NEWYEAR23. You can go to tracyoutsuka.com forward slash A-OK for more information. I would love to have you join us. So that's what I have for you this week. If you like this episode with Casey, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. And you know what? Your reviews really do help. As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. Come join me over at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.